The Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the pioneering premium trail brand from Portland, Oregon, and the makers of the brand new GSPGH. The Cam Haynes Commission is almost here. In fact, Dave is at the factory as I record this, and the shoes are on schedule for an early October delivery for all those who pre-ordered. Get excited. This shoe is amazing. The GSPGH is a lot like the GS Tam, but with a slightly softer midsole compound for a super plush and comfortable ride like all Speedland shoes. The GSPGH has the patented removable plate, a technological innovation you can only find with Speedland products. Speaking of the GS Tam, we still have some of the smaller sizes available, but we are completely out of inventory in size 10 and above for men. That's 11 and a half and above for women. That means that not even I can get another pair of my signature shoe. I have two fresh pairs stashed away here at home. They are collector's items that I will probably keep in perpetuity and I will never get another pair. So if you want one, you better go act fast. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS TAM, the GS PGH, or the SLHSV. Thanks so much to Speedland. On with the show. Hey fam. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Anna Gibson, the young phenom fresh off her collegiate racing career who has exploded into the trail running scene here in 2023. I met Anna back in June at the Broken Arrow Sky Race, where she took a proud victory in the VK and then a second place behind Ali Mack in the 23K. That was only a week after her final race for the University of Washington, and since then, she has been on a heater. She was third place at Challenge Stellina in Europe in August. She was third again at the Pikes Peak Ascent in September, and most recently, fourth place at the Mammoth Trail Fest just a couple weekends ago. Already a podium contender in the biggest sub-ultra distance races in the world. Anna also finished 10th at USA Championships in the 1500 meters on the track. So she's got range, she's got versatility, and she's got talent. The theme of today's show is embracing life's transitions. Anna is very much in the middle of a powerful transition moment with goals of competing professionally across road, track, and trails as her career progresses. So we talk all about that. We talk about Anna's background, her collegiate career, her unorthodox training, her season, her goals for the future, and a lot more. I am now a huge fan of Anna Gibson. I'm sure we'll be seeing her smashing podiums for many years to come, and I hope you enjoy the convo. If you enjoy Free Trail and want even more of the good stuff, you should join Free Trail Pro. Member-only content, member-only deals and discounts, member-only Slack community that is rich with trail running knowledge, inspiration, and friendship. Uh, member-only after parties at our events and a lot more. Membership is only $96 for the year and there is a free trial. Go to freetrail.com or find the link in the show notes to join. Finally, please do check out our sponsors who make Free Trail possible. We are very selective about the brands that we work with and only partner with brands with great products and good intentions who are invested in trail running specifically. In addition to Speedland, we work with Gnarly Nutrition, HVMN, and Rourke Apparel. You'll hear from them later in the episode, but please visit the show notes for links and discount codes that you can take advantage of. Hope you enjoy the chat with Anna Gibson. See you in the outro. 
Anyway, Anna Gibson, welcome to the podcast. Nice to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. And of course, we were just together in Mammoth last weekend for the Mammoth Trail Fest, where you again smashed it, a great fourth place finish in the 26K, part of the Golden Trail World Series. Um, I'm a new fan of yours uh, as of Broken Arrow earlier this season. So we'll talk all about sort of what you've been up to, but how you feeling now? Like uh, whatever it's been five days removed from your awesome fourth place in Mammoth. I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I just sort of started to come back to life. <laughs> it always takes like a little bit of a delay for like the exhaustion and everything to hit um, and for me to hit my low point and then a couple more days to like start coming out the other side of that. So I feel like I've been reborn, which is exciting. Good. I, I'm barely recovering from it. And I did, all I did was sit around and talk all weekend. So <laughs> can't imagine how you feel. Anyway, congratulations on that awesome result. We'll of course come around and talk about it a little bit later on, but I always start the show with a uniform question that I've already prompted you with earlier today. That is just what makes you, you. It's a fun way to get to know our guests on a more personal level. So tell us a little bit about Anna Gibson, your unique character traits, how they show up in your life. Yeah, I love this question. Um, I think the biggest thing that makes me, me, especially right now as an athlete and like this point in my life is just um, taking sort of a multi-sport approach to being a high level runner. And, um, yeah, for me that presents itself as biking and skiing, but I think it's just like a bigger sort of, uh, just a bigger concept of like, they're not being boundaries on what it means to be an elite level athlete. And I think I just want to break that down. Like you can do whatever you want. You get to make the rules for your career and for your life. Um, so I'm just trying to kind of, yeah, live that into existence right now. I love that so much. And Rod Farver and I talked about that throughout race weekend during our broadcast. And we'll come back around to talking a little bit more in depth on that philosophy. But I love that you embody it. And I think a lot of people can learn from it. Again, we don't know each other super well. We met each other at Broken Arrow. What I do know about you is that you grew up in the Jackson Hole area of Wyoming, which is one of the great places on planet Earth for our listeners who have never been there. Tell us about your upbringing in the Tetons. What makes the place special and, and maybe how it's shaped you as an athlete and as a human being? Yeah, the Tetons are amazing and Jackson is amazing. Um, definitely played a really big role um, in making me into like the athlete that I am and the person that I am. Um, I mean, growing up, it was just like a small town and everyone kind of knew everyone else. And my parents had been there, been there for a long time when I was born. So just had a lot of friends, and like really um, supportive community all growing up. And um, yeah, also just a lot of like super crusher athletes, like people just skiing crazy stuff. Um, lots of like really good cyclists, road bikers, mountain bikers, lots of good trail runners there. Um, so I think it's just sort of a Mecca for like outdoor sports. Like you can pretty much do anything you want to do there, which is really cool. So yeah. I'm grateful I found running, but you could go like a thousand different directions. How did your folks end up there out of curiosity? Because I lived in Aspen for a long time and obviously there's that mix between like the working class, like normal people, local population, and then the you know, obscene wealth that comes in and, you know, buys second homes and stuff. And obviously it's a tourist and resort destination that's world famous, but you know, it's, it's unique to, to grow up in that environment. How'd your folks end up there? Yeah. My parents were fortunate to get in sort of before it went crazy. Um, and they're a bit older. So they just, yeah, they were in the Valley, like before everything sort of went insane with 
uh, prices for properties and that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm definitely like living off of their good timing, <laughs> which is awesome. But they both were sort of dirtbags when they moved there and they worked really hard. They owned a local bagel and coffee shop and um, did that for pretty much my entire childhood for almost 20 years. So um, definitely more the the working class, like dirtbag ski types um, who are just fortunate to make it through. And um, yeah, they're still living a happy life there. I'm like, please never leave. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford it without you. Oh, it's so, that's so cool. And yeah, small business ownership and that type of a place. I have friends who are business owners in Aspen, like I said, and yeah, it's a great way to contribute to the local community and, you know, also not easy at all. And I'm sure you had a front row seat to some of the trials and tribulations of your parents making it all work there in beautiful Jackson Hole. There's sort of a theme on the show, too, of people who are now great trail runners who also have the background that you do and the pedigree that you do of like racing track and cross country collegiately. But who grew up in a mountainous environment and outdoorsy family where they were exposed to trails and mountains. Was that sort of the case for you? Does it make sense in retrospect how you ended up being such a great trail runner? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it has everything to do with the way that I was raised. Like it always kind of makes me laugh because people in the track world are always like, Oh, like how did you get into trail? And I kind of look at it and I'm like, how did I get into trail? It's more like how to get into track. Like that's the weird one, you know, like that I like to run on flat ground in circles. Like, yeah, that, that fulfills me in a lot of ways, but um, the real reason, like I fell in love with running in the first place was definitely training on trails. And I was fortunate that we could do that from school too. So like middle school and high school, when I was training, we would go up into the national park and run around Jenny Lake or run up the up and down snow King, which is like right next to the schools. Um, yeah, I, I think it's sort of a funny, funny progression, but trail definitely instilled the love for running for yeah. me. So then how did you get into track? Maybe tell us a little bit about your experience with running growing up, how you ended up at the University of Washington, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's just the avenue that like our system has in just uh, in professional running. Like like you said, there's a lot of trail runners who start out with track and with cross country mm -hmm. um, and it's a team environment. So it's super fun when you're young to to be a part of that and yeah, I still love that aspect of it. I think it's amazing to have training partners who are just like clicking off repeats with. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I think there's two different sides of me that are, are fed by the two different sides of running that I do. Mm -hmm. So then how did you end up moving out to Seattle? Because, you know, obviously you're probably getting recruited. It's a division one school. It means you were probably pretty successful in high school. So how'd you end up moving out West and tell me a little bit about your collegiate racing career and, you know, talk to me like I'm two years old because I really don't pay attention to track and cross country, both the collegiate or the professional levels. It's one of the few sports that I don't really monitor. So I'd love to hear just sort of like how you ended up going there and what your career was like. Yeah, I actually didn't start out at Washington, which is a fun fact. Not everyone knows about me. Um, so I graduated high school. Um, I did have a couple of really good results um, at the end of my senior year. And so I was fortunate enough to be recruited to a couple of bigger schools. Um, I did look at University of Washington. I also looked at Oregon and almost went there, but then decided to go to Brown instead in Rhode Island. Um, so I ended up going to Brown for a year and a half and I never put on a singlet while I was, while I was there. I never raced for them. Um, I got hurt like 
two weeks into my freshman year Mm. um, with like the first actual running injury. And honestly, like the primary running injury I've ever had. Uh Um, And it ended up taking me out for like almost two, two and a half years. Um, So I kind of had this weird like start to my college career. Um, And I like had to reevaluate a lot. Like, do I actually want to run? Like, where, where does this fit in my life? Um, What is important to me? Like, what do I want to do with my life? And I ended up deciding on, yeah, like I do really want to run. And I um, had just, I had discussed going to Oregon with Marisa Powell. um, And since the time that I'd been at Brown, she had moved from Oregon to Washington and I had liked that school a little bit better. And I thought Seattle might be a little bit better of a place for me to live. And yeah, I decided to transfer and uh, she brought me onto the team 10 days after I called her the first time. So it was a total whirlwind of events, but I ended up out in Seattle at Washington. Um, so what made and, you feel like you couldn't resuscitate your career at Brown? Was it a cultural thing or did you miss being, living out West or were there bad memories from the injury and the subsequent, you know, sort of like feeling that you were maybe separated from your running career or what, what made you want to transfer? Yeah, I think it was a number of things. Um, definitely just not super happy. Like I really enjoyed school there, but I think it was hard to start off on not my best foot. Um, and I kind of needed like a fresh start. I was just a little bit stuck in a rut. Didn't know how to kind of write my career, um, without like a really big change. Um, and also like, yeah, I really miss the West. I found out that I belong in the West and I need mountains and I need like access to public lands. And I was definitely just struggling with that a little bit. Um, cause yeah, Wyoming to Rhode Island is a huge change that I thought I wanted. But then as soon as I was there, I was like, Oh man, I don't know. if I like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah. So my wife and I joke about that all the time. We're like, man, how do people live east of like Colorado? Right. And, you know, obviously big respect to all of our listeners who, you know, occupy the Midwest or the South or the Northeast or whatever. It's great. But man, living out West is amazing, especially when you grow up here. It makes it really difficult to adjust to a different geography and a different landscape. What was the injury out of curiosity? Um, I tore my peroneus longus in my foot. So it was like basically on the bottom of my foot Mm -hmm. Um, and they didn't want to do surgery. So I, it took a long time to diagnose it. Um, And yeah, it was, it was not ideal. I like, I think Mm -hmm. it would have healed pretty fast if I had immediately known exactly what it was, but it took us a while to pinpoint. So I ended up taking more time off and then the more time off I took, the weaker it got. And yeah, I retore the thing like so many times. It was so frustrating. So there's also kind of, of of a theme on the show for those who have raced collegiately that they're a little bit jaded by their collegiate career. They look back at it with less than positive memories in a lot of cases. And for a lot of our guests, that's meant that they've sort of given up on running for a time in their 20s before they sort of discover trail running and then sort of reignite their love. Again, without knowing much about your career and about collegiate track racing in general, how would you assess your collegiate career? Was it successful? Was it happy? Was it positive? Was it negative? How do you feel about it? Well, I think the part up to where I've told you about, probably if it had ended there, I would have said it was terrible and that I had a horrible experience. Um, But fortunately, I went on to actually have a really good time for a few years too. So it completely took a turn for the better. Um, And I think overall, I had a really good time at Washington. Like, there was definitely uh, still a lot of like 
struggling that I went through and a lot of like learning and I had to grow up and, um, figuring out how to race collegiate cross country was something I feel like I never actually figured out. Like, I think the best I did at cross country was like 64th in the country, which is not good compared to where my track times put me, um, or like where my trail results put me. So definitely still some struggling, lots of unfinished business, which is why I'm still racing track. Cause I'm not done yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I would say I had a, a fairly positive experience. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's come back around and talk about the, the continuation of the track ambitions in a second. I recall I followed you on Instagram after the rut VK last year. That was sort of when I discovered who Anna Gibson was. And again, we met each other at Broken Arrow this year. And I know you did the USA Mountain Champs in 2021, but maybe tell us about where the inspiration came from, you know, to really move into the trails more intentionally, especially when you were in the thick of your collegiate racing career. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard balance to find. I was like fiending to race trails, but also, you know, the priority when you're in school is to be ready for cross country season and not be hurt when you show up at school in the fall. So I always sort of had to keep a lid on it until I had like a little bit of success. And then I was like, okay, I actually need to chase this like a little bit more. There's a little more urgency here, mm. um, which is sort of where like last year I like kind of bought more into having like an actual trail season. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it strikes me that, you know, when you're getting close to the end of your collegiate racing career, you kind of need to think ahead, you know, what's next. Right. And so you obviously have optionality. You could go full steam into trail. You could continue with, you know, the track racing scene professionally. And so at that point, was it sort of experimentation? Like, let's try this trail thing out to see if it's something that I do want to pursue while I'm still in college and while I'm thinking about the future. Well, definitely. And like, yeah, like you said, having sort of like a little bit longer of a focus, you know, the system that running is in right now, like it pushes you towards choosing. It's like, you need mm. to do track or you need to do trail and some trail athletes like definitely do a lot of road racing as well. So not to discredit that, but like they're different worlds and that's the way that the system is set up. And so, you know, as a young person in college, you're like, okay, I guess I have to like figure out which one I like the most. And everyone kept asking me, well, like, what are you going to do professionally? What are you going to do after college? And so I was like, okay, I guess I need to do both in order to figure out which one I like the most. Um, and then I kind of got to the space where I was like, geez, I'm never going to be able to decide. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess I'll just keep doing both until it doesn't work anymore. And I'm fortunate to still be in that situation. Did you have to persuade your coach at UW that it, this was going to be a positive thing for you? Or did you have autonomy during the off season to go pursue trail adventures as your heart desired? Um, the autonomy increased as the years went on. Like, yeah. I think... Uh, at first it was definitely an experiment and I was rebelling a little bit. Um, but then I would show up at school and I'd work really hard and I'd run well and contribute to my team. Um, and I think that we sort of came to an understanding like, okay, as long as this is like working for everyone, like I can run on the trails and I can race in the summers and everyone's happy. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's talk about the trail team and maybe we'll come back around and talk a little bit more about this transition because you're sort of in the middle of an amazing life transition now, even if it's not completely obvious to you in your youth, you know, these are important moments in our lives. And I think we should spend time talking about it. 
we talked about the trail team a bunch over this past weekend, but for those who didn't watch the stream, maybe explain what the trail team is, how you came to be connected and how it's helped you as an athlete, especially in this transition moment. Yeah. Um, the trail team is new this year. Um, it's basically the way I would describe it is just a network and a community. Um, and I think it's taken a lot of different renditions and had like a lot of different directions, even just during the time that I've been a part of it. But um, yeah, it's been really cool. It, it was started by Andy Wacker and basically there's like two different levels, the way that it's set up right now. Um, and this is more of like a structural thing where there's like six of us who are on the trail team. And then there's the trail team club, which has a bunch of other like awesome athletes who are involved. Mm. Um, but to be honest, like none of that has been super present, like in real life. I think it's just like a group of people who all are like brought under this umbrella and we just, our network, we like communicate, we've stayed in houses together, um, thanks to Andy Wacker's organization and have just gotten to be friends and like help each other out, figure out what events to go to. It's been cool. So, you know, obviously you're having a great season, which we'll talk about. Mika also had sort of a breakthrough run last weekend at Mammoth Trail Fest. Sam Hendry's been on a tear. Christian Allen won speed goat. He was second to challenge Delina. So like the success sort of speaks for itself only in year one of this trail team phenomenon. And of course the mentors are star studded group, not only Andy Wacker, but Ali Mack, Grayson Murphy, Adam Peterman. So you have sort of like this, you know, roster of world champions that you can draw inspiration and education from. Is there anything in particular that you've picked up from those mentors, people like Andy, Adam, Grayson, Ali, that has rubbed off on you that, maybe you want to implement into your own career? Well, that's a good question. I think they've all been like involved with different members of the trail team in different ways. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I think Grayson, I haven't like interacted with her a ton specifically under the trail team situation, but just as like a person and as a friend, like she inspires me. Um, obviously like she has a, a history doing track and trails, concurrently which is what I'm doing um so I think that's pretty cool and like yeah getting to know Ali Mack a little bit through it has been awesome obviously now she's like someone who I'm racing with regularly so it's been cool like getting to know her and um just yeah having it's basically just like having the conversation starter has been awesome yeah awesome all right well then this is a good segue to talk about the trail and track simultaneous path because it is I think novel in today's day and age of specialization, but maybe before we get to that, we should talk about Brooks because it feels like they're important in this dual track path that you're taking. So maybe just, you know, talk about this partnership, you know, it's obviously headquartered where you went to school in, in Seattle. So I don't know if that's part of how things materialized, but tell us how it materialized and why you felt like Brooks was the right fit for you in this next chapter. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that you brought this in because Brooks is like the whole reason why I'm able to do what I'm doing. So yeah, huge shout out to Brooks for for seeing the potential in me as like just a, a runner and not as like trail runner or track runner, but all of it. Um, that relationship started um, pretty recently, actually, like right at the end of my college career. Um, I actually had had a really bad race at NCAA outdoor track. And um, I like 
yeah, got, got connected with Garrett Heath there. And he was originally, I think, entering this conversation like, yo, we should talk about you running the 1500 for Brooks. And then we sat down and like very quickly, we were like, okay, this conversation has taken such a turn. Uh, We like totally connected for trails because he's on the trail team at Brooks um, and also involved in the track world. So he totally like is, you know, he's like just in that duality that I'm like trying to be in. So he was like, okay, let's, let's keep this conversation going. And from that point forward, like, you know, five days later, I was at Broken Arrow um, and raced really well there. And then, you know, things were just like happening super fast. And it was just kind of always like an obvious answer for me. Like Brooks is just the one, like there's such good people behind the brand. And I knew a couple of the athletes on the trail team and on the track team. um, And I just felt really good about it. So (laughs) that was not a hard decision for me. I think they've done a really good job with their athlete strategy and their just posture and disposition within the running world, just, you know, with their run happy philosophy and just the individuals who they identify are walking representations of that philosophy. I think they've done a really good job. Say more about Garrett Heath because, you know, people may not know that name, but he's a shred beast. You know, he was like, you know, obviously a professional road and track. He was a great cross country runner from memory and now he's working in sports marketing. So you're talking about how you're interfacing with him to figure out the ins and outs of your contract and how you might, you know, devote your energies in this next chapter of your career. But him having that experience of being a professional athlete now working on the other side of the table in sports marketing, does does it feel like that's helped that he has empathy and understanding of what professional athletes go through? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. It's like, he's just advocating for like, whatever's best, you know, it's like, obviously it's a give and take between a company and an athlete, but like, ultimately I think he like really understands that what's best for the athlete is what's best for the company. Um, and so he's just like working really hard at Brooks to, you know, just make everything as good as possible. And, um, yeah, his experience as a professional athlete definitely made me take a lot of confidence in just what he was you know, what he was bringing to the table as like the sports marketing guy at Brooks. Um, yeah, huge confidence in that. And I think everyone on the team has been so thrilled with him being in that position. Did you have an agent? I don't know if that's a personal question. You don't have to answer it if you, if you don't want to, but I'm just curious because, you know, like a lot of the professional runners who go into the road and track circuit engage an agent first thing, but it's rare that trail athletes engage agents, at least in this current era of the sport. There's a few exceptions to that, but are you willing to answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing coming out of college and especially like entering a new space with a contract that I didn't know if what I wanted actually existed, um, in like professional running. And so, yes, I, I had an agent work with me for the contract, um, and with Brooks. Well, that's why I was kind of asking because this is so new to have somebody straight out of college, you know, being a, multi-focused ambassador of a brand, right? Who doesn't necessarily fit into a single box and therefore a single budget, right? Like you're, you're not going straight into the track budget. You're not going straight into the trail budget. And I don't know if this is something you can provide some clarity on too, but I know I've heard in other places, can't remember where that Brooks was like very focused and committed to like growing their exposure in trail specifically. I think it was like their CMO or somebody who said that they were committed to spending equally on both the categories, which is a revolutionary thing, you know, as somebody who's 
made my career in trail running to have one of those big brands make that type of commitment. It's super exciting. So that's why I was sort of curious about the, the agent thing, because the agent would have to know a little bit about both the sports too, and, you know, know how to navigate the bureaucracy and budgets of these, these larger brands. So maybe tell us a little bit about like how you envision things evolving from here on out road versus track versus trail, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel super excited about it because I think there's just like room to grow wherever I want to go, you know, like right now I'm operating with this model of wanting to do both and seeing as far as I can get doing both. Um, and I think I have like a lot of untapped potential on the track and on the trails. Um, so I'm really excited to like explore that, but I think, you know, ultimately, yeah, will I decide potentially? Mm -hmm. Um, I think like at some point I might decide that I love one more than the other, or I'm just having a better experience with one over the other. Um, and I think the great thing about Brooks is that I, I feel really supported. Like, I feel like they would be, you know, they'd be stoked about whatever I decide to chase. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a really, really unique and really cool position to be in. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, one season might be devoted towards a certain category and the next season might be almost like Ninka Brinkman right now, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's focused on the Paris Olympics running the marathon for the Netherlands, but she's also one of the best trail runners in the world. And so maybe after the Olympics, she comes back and, you know, starts ripping Sears and all, et cetera, again. So anyway, just super exciting. And I think you should feel proud and excited to be on this cutting edge, this leading edge of this, this new generation and taking your skills across every discipline of running. It's really exciting. So before we start, that's, that's part of it too. Like, I hope, I hope that I am, you know, I hope that like Mm -hmm. in five years, maybe my situation is not so unique. Like I don't want to be the standout, like, Oh, this person did this weird thing. Like, yeah, I hope it's just normal. Like, I think we should stop, you know, telling people like that they have to choose one or the other. Cause I actually think they're extremely complimentary. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and our brand new collaborative product, Orange Drank. The brand new formula and flavor of Gnarly's flagship endurance drink makes Fuel 2.0, which I've been evangelizing here on the podcast for a couple of years now. Orange Drank comes with a salted orange flavor and appropriately an increased concentration of sodium. You all know I'm a huge electrolyte guy in training, racing, and in daily life. So we decided to reformulate the mix and add a bit more of that salty stuff. I couldn't be happier with the finished product. It's so delicious, but more importantly, it will make you feel like a superhero while you're out getting your shred on. Typical of all the Fuel 2.0 products, Orange Drank also has 560 milligrams of HMB, a metabolite of branched-chain amino acid leucine to help prevent muscle breakdown and reduced post-workout soreness. So you get carbs, electrolytes, calories, HMB, hydration. It's everything you need straight from your bottle. Simplicity, one of the main reasons why I've always relied on liquid calories. It's so cool for us to have this product collab out in the world. Orange shoes with Speedland, orange drank with Gnarly. Go pick up a bag today. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So I want to talk a bit, obviously, about your season this year because it's been awesome. And I've been 
happily following from a distance and in person when I've had the opportunity. But first, I think it's important to just kind of like talk about your training, because again, this is a moment of transition for you. You said that you're working with David Roche now, who I think very highly of, and I'd love to hear, you know, how you two came to be connected, what's similar and what's different from your collegiate track racing. Yeah. I mean, that's been a huge transition. I think just the end of, you know, an era with one coach and the start of another, um, just because for me, like my coach has always played a huge role in my life. Um, like in high school, my coach was like, yeah, just a huge, like I looked up to him so much and I still do. Like, he's still one of my best friends. We talk like almost most days to be honest. Um, so yeah, positive, really strong relationship there. I had a really close relationship with my college coach. And so going into the transition, that was a huge priority to me. Um, and I had just heard amazing things about David and Megan and, um, ultimately I just ended up reaching out and, you know, I was like, if nothing else, they'll be amazing advisors. Like they'll help me figure out where to go and what to do. And like, they're people who I could just go to with questions anytime. Um, and I like immediately just felt so supported by them both. Like they were hyping me up so hard saying stuff on this phone, like first phone call with them. I was like, you're literally crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you believe in me so much, you know, but, um, yeah, just things that like, maybe I did need to hear, you know, that like no one else was going to be brave enough to say to me about what they think I'm capable of achieving, um, and how I can get there. And so, yeah, I took a ton of confidence in starting to work with David and, um, it's been a huge transition for me. I think just like very different coaching style than I'm used to, but, um, I'm entering a new space that's super different as well. And, um, I think it's been, obviously it's been functioning great for me in terms of racing. So, so I'm really pleased with it so far. So go deeper on that. What is different? Give us an example and sort of like draw the contrast between what you were doing only a few months ago versus what you're doing under the Roche tutelage. Yeah. I mean, biggest thing, like obviously in college, I'm showing up to training every single day and my coach has eyes on me and like, she would literally sometimes look at me and be like, you're tired. You're not working out today. Or like you're being dramatic or you didn't sleep well last night or whatever. Like she just would look at me and know that. And so I think the transition, um, just to being with like a coach that's a remote situation, mm -hmm. I was not sure about. I was like, I don't know that that's going to work for me. Um, but it has worked so like really well so far. And I think college taught me how to figure out how I'm feeling and figure out what I need. And, um, you know, it, like I don't, I don't need to like have someone else necessarily weighing in all the time. Like it's actually good, I think, to be a little bit more independent and be like, mm. yeah, I am tired today and actually recognize that. Be like, maybe I shouldn't work out yet or whatnot. Yeah. I just followed you on Strava like an hour ago and I was just like looking through some of your training and I want to come back to what we started our conversation with, with the mixture of activities that you're passionate about. But like, I just saw, I think it was yesterday or something where you did like a five by 90, 60, 30 second interval session. So maybe using that as an example, like, is that different from what you were doing in college? And what's the specific application of that workout in particular? Yeah. I mean, I think it's super different than what I was doing in college. Um, just because, well, in college, I actually, during my entire time, I never did a workout on trails. Like <laughs> I was working out with my team. We'd run on grass. We'd run on like gravel loops. that are like super wide and I'd run on the track. And that was pretty much where my training happened. 
And in the summers, I would like run up mountains for fun on my own program, do whatever I felt like doing. But like, I've never before working with David actually done a workout on a trail. And so I think that's a huge part of the transition. Um, and brilliant coaching, by the way, brilliant coaching, (laughs) do workouts on trails. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm like lots of untapped potential here. Like we have no idea what's going to happen when I actually train for this thing. Scary. Um, yeah. So big transition there, but I think, yeah, it's just fun to explore. It's like a new, new chapter. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. So again, last weekend we were talking and I think you said that you run like three or four days a week, you do your workouts, you do a long run, but that otherwise you're getting a lot of volume on the bike. So again, coming back to where we started our conversation in broad strokes, just paint the picture for the audience of what your training looks like in a normal week and how you balance the different activities and what value each of them bring into your run performance at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's something also that actually has been consistent for me between college and now, like I am still running just a few days a week. Um, and the rest of my volume, like you said, is like, it's on the bike or if it's the winter it's on skis. Um, and yeah, I think I found a lot of success with that. Like when I would normally have a recovery day and any regular training plan that, would normally involve running. I just make it a bike ride or a ski instead. And I think like mentally it keeps me sharp. Like I just don't get tired of running. Like every day when I start running, I'm excited to be doing it. Cause mm. I wasn't maybe doing it yesterday. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I just, I also love biking so much and I love skiing so much. It's just feels like fun. Like I kind of forget that I'm actually training. Um, even though it plays a huge role in that volume. Do you ever get insecure about it though? Because like, Again, I think this is a really exciting moment in the sport and there's athletes that you can point to who are successful with just such crazy different training styles, but you know, it's not unusual to feel self-conscious when you see somebody putting up just like heroic run numbers, right? You know, doing 120, 140, 160 mile weeks, thinking of, you know, some of my friends who do UTMB and who are racing at the top of the sport and Simultaneously, you have other people at the other end of the spectrum, like yourself, who are doing, you know, a lot of overall volume, but the run volume is nothing intimidating, right? If you're putting up 30 or 40 miles a week. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say there about like the psychological part of it, the competitive part of it, and, you know, whether or not you ever get self-conscious about, you know, putting up bigger numbers. I think that's a good question. Um, this is a millennial thing to say, but I feel like it's like cool flex, bro. Like, I don't care that you're running X amount of miles per week. Like that doesn't make me feel like you're training more effectively than I am. You know, like I see my friends who are putting up a lot of mileage and mileage to me is not, it's not the right metric to measure whether someone's training is more effective than mine. Like the metrics are like, yeah, overall volume. And are you having a good time? Are you healthy? Like, uh, are your race results good? You know, like, I don't think that me running a bunch more mileage would actually make me a better runner. Like, I think it's just going to burn me out over time and make the whole model less sustainable and maybe just make my life like a lot more mundane. Um, I just want to be like stimulated and having a good time. And so, yeah, I don't, I, I think I used to show up, especially at track events and be like, Oh, like, I don't know what I'm doing. How could I possibly match up to this girl who's running 80 miles a week? But I'm like so past that point. I just take confidence in what I'm doing. Yeah. 
So maybe most important question of the podcast, are you actually a millennial? Because I'm pretty sure I'm a millennial and I'm way older than you. I'm pretty sure you're a, you're a different generation uh, at this point. I think, yeah, I'm Gen Z, right? Yeah, yeah I think you're Gen Z. Yeah, I'm a 99 baby. I'm sort of <laughs> near the near the junction, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I'm an old millennial, so who knows? Maybe we are part of the same generation. I'll hang on to that, uh, you know, bit of youth, uh, thinking that you and I are both millennials together. So talking specifically about your season now, again, we met each other at Broken Arrow. You shredded the VK, won it, got second in the 23K behind Ali Mack, world champ, trail team mentor, Ali Mack. So, you know, probably a big confidence boosting way to sort of make your way into the sport. And I, th I think from memory, didn't you race NCAAs like the weekend before? I did. All right. So just like explain that whole week, because I think it's representative of what we're talking about, of this being like a moment of profound transition for you. And that week, it was sort of like a concentrated example of that. That week was honestly insane. And honestly, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> it was crazy. I, yeah, I went to NCAAs and I had a pretty bad run in the first round. So I didn't end up making it into the final. And I was really bummed out about it. So it was kind of like a sore spot. And mm. yeah, traveled back home to Seattle. And like two or three days later, I was on my way down to Broken Arrow and I drove down to Tahoe. So that was like another added thing. But I'd had Broken Arrow on the calendar for so long and I was looking forward to it so much. It's like, if nothing else, maybe I'll go and get my butt kicked and it will be terrible race. But if nothing else, like I'll just have a good time. And I had a bunch of friends, so I was excited to see there. So I sent it and completely shocked myself with like how, how strong I felt on the trails off of just exclusively track training, um, and hardly even having trail run. Um, but I will say afterwards, there was like a lot of carnage. Like my body was not ready for that stimulus. Um, I was really, really tired and like, didn't feel normal for probably like almost two and a half weeks. Yeah. And I turned a corner like right before us nationals on the track, which I then was able to race well. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Don't recommend. So it makes me want to ask a little bit more about that, like emotional feeling too, because like maybe you're ending your collegiate career in a little bit of a disappointing note. Like you just mentioned, the final race wasn't quite what you wanted, but then there is in excitement oftentimes inherent in moments of transformation, even if it's only obvious in retrospect. And maybe these great performances at Broken Arrow were a reflection of the inspiration inherent in this transition. Am I touching on anything there that you want to expand on? Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think also just the end of the end of the college career, that's like terrifying on one hand, but so exciting on the other. And by that point, I had decided I wanted to run professionally. And so I sort of just was excited to try out whatever. And, you know, it was like letting the wind take me a little bit. Like I had this sense of just like freedom. And I, if I wanted to go to Broken Arrow, I could go to Broken Arrow. Like there was no college coach telling me I couldn't go. And so I think that was just sort of a, it was almost like when you move out of your parents' house, you're like, Ooh, like you just go crazy for a second. And that was, that was my experience with Broken Arrow. Oh, that's so awesome. So then tell us a little bit about the USA champs because what you were 10th there, 1500 meters, right? 
Yep. Yeah. That's and this correct. was just after you signed your professional contract with Brooks. So, I mean, you've sort of been on a heater since then. I know you got injured, which I want to talk about next, but maybe just meditate on that performance at USA champs and, you know, especially, you know, in contrast with what you were able to achieve at, at broken arrow. It, I mean, obviously shows your versatility. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I actually showed up to USA's with a pretty similar attitude. Like, okay, this year has been kind of insane and I had a great race at broken arrow. Like I just signed my pro contract. I knew that and other people didn't know that yet, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it sort of felt like a bonus round. Like I would love to run super well, but if I don't, I've already accomplished a lot of cool stuff in the past month and I have a pro career ahead of me. It's all going to be okay. And I think that like liberating feeling of just feeling really free. Um, there's not a lot hanging over your head when you like get on the start line. That was like where the magic kind of happened for me. God, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, as somebody so young, it's a good realization to have, right? Just like that spirit of freedom and that spirit of I'm happy to be here and that spirit of I got nothing to lose. That's when you actually can race to your potential. And it's when you have the baggage, when you're scared about the security of your contract, when you're like nervous returning from injury or something like that, where you're just like frustrated with your running. So aligning the emotional and the physical is what it's all about. Integration. Speaking of which, let's talk about your injury, (laughs) The, the physical and the emotional, right? Like you, you revealed to me at least, uh, at, Mammoth Trail Fest. I don't know if you were talking about it publicly, but um, that you got hurt after Broken Arrow and USA's and that you pretty much were on the shelf for much of the summertime. Obviously, since then, you've returned to racing. You've been on a tear. So you've been sort of continuing this great run of success. So I'm sure people would love to hear sort of what the injury was, number one. But, you know, how do you spent that period of injury like what you did in that time that made your return to running so successful? Yeah. Um, I've, I've actually been reflecting on this a lot. I think I maybe should have seen the signs of, you know, being pretty worn out and about to get hurt, uh, just with like the turmoil, good and bad, just like the chaos, I guess, of like the last couple of months of college. Um, Cause I also, uh, one of my parents had an organ transplant, which was super intense that happened in May. So I was like also going through a lot of like personal life stuff, the pro decision, the end of college, where am I going to live? Like so many questions and also like had a lot of, you know, like underlying stress about my family and being there for them. Um, so it was a lot. And I'm like not surprised at all looking back that that resulted in me being tired and a bit beat up. So <laughs> I had like a uh, cuboid syndrome, which is something I've actually experienced before in my foot. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's probably related to track spikes and just spending a lot of time running in circles. But um, yeah, that slowed me down for about five weeks. And I spent pretty much all of that time just hammering myself on the bike every single day, which was super fun. Um, like I said, I sometimes forget it's training. I'm just out like on a bike packing trip in the middle of nowhere with friends and, um, or just like, yeah, hammering on my little local routes from my house. And I find it really fulfilling even on its own. So, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And it's always obvious in retrospect, you know, when we're about to get injured, unfortunately, it's rarely obvious in the moment. So you did get through it successfully and, seems like what you were doing during that five weeks off 
led you to this like spectacular late season that you've had, uh, we can sort of skip over ch challenge Stelina, but you know, that's sort of like a, a big sub ultra distance race in Europe that happens like kind of around UTMB time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. but like, let's just kind of skip over that, but you had an awesome race there and we'll talk about Pike's peak and then mammoth and then sort of look ahead before we close down. So Pike's peak, man, third place, your first time there, one of the oldest, like true mountain races in the world, so much history on that hill. And you were third place behind Sophia Lockley and, and, uh, Judith wider. So I know that was your, yeah, like your first race on the golden trail world series, and you posted on, I looked at your Strava, you said you wouldn't change a thing about the performance. So obviously you came away satisfied. So I'd love to just kind of hear from your perspective, how it played out, how you feel about the performance, whether you surprised yourself or not, things like that. Pike's Peak is so sick. That race is so cool. <laughs> um, I just had such a good time that whole weekend. And yes, I definitely surprised myself, you know, like the first first couple races back after an injury or some not ideal period of training are always a little scary. And I was fortunate to race well when I was over in Europe, but like to give some context, I, <laughs> I literally biked for five weeks, ran for like under 10 days, raced Stelina, recovered for a week, raced two more times and then flew home. And I was like, not feeling like myself. I was yeah. not running normally. So mm -hmm. I showed up to Pike's peak, like okay, that was a weird experience. Like, I have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> and also it was the longest race I'd done. Um, and so I wasn't sure how feeling was going to go um, or how my body was going to react. I've never been to 14,000 before. Like I'd only been to like mid 13,000 in the Tetons. And so there was a lot of unknowns. And I remember like the night before the race, I was like sitting on my my bedroom floor in the Airbnb, like talking to David. And I was like, I don't know, this is kind of scary. Like I'm pretty scared. And he was like, I ah, like, let's just go have fun. Like you need to be smiling above tree line. That's a big goal. And like, let's go learn as much stuff as we can. So my entire goal was literally just to learn. Mm -hmm. And somehow everything just went right. Like I was able to eat, which was cool. And I was able to drink, which was cool. Like my body actually felt pretty good at altitude, um, slowed me down, but it like was fine. And yeah, I, I think I just like, I just sort of ran out of my mind and it was again, that feeling of not having any expectation that I would credit that to. Ah, say more about the fear thing, because I think that's, I don't know, illuminating as to what we go through as professional athletes, right? Like, is it, is it fear? Like, Hey, I'm racing against the top dogs in the world at the sub ultra distance stuff. Like this is my first golden tr trail world series event. Or is it fear of like, Oh, I'm going up to 14. Is it a combination of all those things? I think it's a combination of all those things. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird feeling. It's un, an uneasy feeling when you realize that you're at the biggest stage you've ever been on and you're not ready <laughs> or you mm. think you're not ready. You know, you're like, I just don't think that I'm ready for this level of competition. But then, yeah, I guess to find out that maybe you are and maybe like whatever unconventional crap you did to like get yourself there is actually fine. I think that's like, that's why the sport's so addicting. Like, yeah. okay, well, then why am I putting so many rules? Like, why, why does everything have to be a certain way? Like, maybe I should just be flexible and like always just put myself out there and always take risks like this. Like, you never know when it's going to like lead to a breakthrough or just like get you to a new level. Was it you or David who came up with the 
just go out there and learn philosophy for that race. Cause that feels to me like a profound and important, you know, sort of disposition to bring into that event. I think it was definitely led by David. Um, and I'm not, I don't know, like he believes in me to an insane degree, but I think also it was his way of trying to like lessen the blow of a bad race before it happened, you know, mm -hmm. like, well, even if I ran terribly and I ended up like, I don't know, 40th, which I would not have been happy with. Like, yeah. I think that he still would have been satisfied with me. And I in turn would have been satisfied with myself if I had learned something. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, why don't we just bring that focus in just in case as like a little security blanket. And I think he was just as surprised that it went well as I was. Yeah. So you said you wouldn't change a thing. Is there anything you did learn in that experience? Because it was your first golden trail world series. We'll talk about mammoth here in a second, but you know, that's a big stage and it'd be this being the big moment of transition. It is a period of concentrated learning too. Is there anything in particular you picked up on that big hill in Southern Colorado? Well, I think I said this a little bit, but just, yeah, it's worth it to take risks sometimes. Like that's why we do what we do. Um, what was the risk? Know. Did you just like, you put yourself in the fight? Like just running. Yeah. yeah. Like I think showing up was risky. Like I could have okay. just stayed home and been like, I didn't train for for running for five weeks. Like, come on. Um, but instead I was like, no, I'm going to be there. Like I'm going to do it. And even if my name ends up lower on this, like results sheet than I want it to be, like, it's still worth it. Yeah. Um, I think that, that sort of attitude. And also, yeah, I learned that golden trails is super fun. I want to race more. I belong in events like that. Um, and I want to like go shake things up. It's super fun. The best gear isn't born in a factory. It's inspired by real people challenging themselves to explore new parts of the world. That's why I love Rourke. Their team pulls design inspiration straight from the cultures and people of new destinations to create durable and comfortable styles that can take you straight from the trail to the coffee shop or the bar. Trail culture. For over 10 years, Rourke has explored the globe to seek adventure on the road less traveled. And each collection includes a give back because Rourke believes in leaving a positive impact on the places that host their adventures trail culture. The latest collection is inspired by a trip through Hokkaido, Japan, featuring Japanese prints and patterns, but free trail listeners will especially love the Rourke Run Amok line. It's functional running gear that goes against traditional activewear styling, so you'll never have to choose between performance and personality. I've been rocking Rourke's Alta 5-inch short, which are stylish and perfect for my long runs. They're super lightweight and even have a water-resistant pocket for my phone. It's a really nice product. Go check it out along with the rest of the Run Amok apparel collection for a limited time. As one of my listeners, you can get 15% off your order. Go to Rourke.com, R-O-A-R-K.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Rourke. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a Ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the 
Rucky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit HVMN forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. Perfect segue. Let's talk about Mammoth Trail Fest, another Golden Trail World Series race this past weekend. You finished fourth place in the 26K. It was only, what, six days removed from Pikes Peak. Tell us about that sort of quick transition between the two events, how you were feeling physically, mentally, emotionally going into your second Golden Trail World Series event and, you know, any highlights from the competition itself? Yeah, I think I had a similar level of uneasiness when I realized how tired I was after Pikes Peak and that I had to race six days later. Um, but I took the week really easy. I did a lot of laying around. Like everyone's like, Oh, what'd you do in mammoth? I'm like, really nothing. I like laid around, I checked out the course I raced. Um, but yeah, I, I think I like came around just in time for the race. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the biggest takeaway from that for me is like, okay, maybe if I'd have done just Pike's peak, I would have thought I'm really good at running uphill. My body's good at altitude. And like, that's the kind of race that suits me. But I think going and doing it again um, and ending up well there too was like, okay, like, yeah, like stop selling yourself short. Like we can also run fast. We can also run 17 miles and like do a totally different type of race. Um, So I think just like a, yeah, a big like confidence boost for um, the type of events that like I can be competitive in. Yeah. And do you feel... Like uh, we'll start talking about the future here in a second, but, you know, piggybacking on what we talked about with Pike's Peak, you know, was there more learning at Mammoth, especially because it is a different style course, all uphill race versus an up-down race. A lot of the similar characters that you raced on back-to-back weekends, uh, but, you know, racing on back-to-back weekends also is probably an opportunity for learning too. Any, any things that you picked up in Mammoth? Oh, I mean, I learned all kinds of stuff. I think um, I have a lot of room for growth with my nutrition strategies. Like I literally eat applesauce in races and I think there would be a lot of value in me like learning how to fuel more conventionally. But um, yeah, I just haven't had that experience yet racing long enough to need to. So I'm I'm excited to learn there. Um, and I think these two races were like, okay, yeah, that's something that I need to work on. Um, learning that needs to be done for the future. And, um, yeah, I also fell really hard during mammoth on the way down, like five miles from the end of the race. And I had like a learning moment too, where like, yeah, I got up and I was like, I'm not finishing this race. Like I'm literally broken. My season's over. And then I kept running, which I don't know, maybe was a questionable choice. My ankle still hurts a bit, but, um, I think, yeah, just like the, 
when the races get long like that, like you have another level of like suffering and needing to be perseverant and yeah. getting up after a hard fall and keeping, keeping with it. Um, that was like an element that I haven't really had to experience before. Nothing like a good tomahawk early in your career to, you know, welcome you, indoctrinate you into the great sport of trail running. And you did get up and brush it off. You finished fourth place in a stellar world-class field. And I'm sure you're feeling pretty, really happy with your season right now. and probably confident looking ahead, which we should do now before we started, or maybe it was during our conversation. You said you are going to be going to Italy for the Golden Trail World Final. I checked right before we started. You're ranked 15 in the series right now, which is great with only two results. Probably most of the women ahead of you have three, which makes it easier to rank higher in the World Series standings. So tell us about how you're feeling about going and racing internationally again for the second time this season, where your body and mind's at ahead of the Golden Trail World Final next month. I'm super excited for it. Um, I think that was... Another thing that I actually, ahead of Broken Arrow, or sorry, um, ahead of Pikes Peak and Mammoth, I was not sure what I was going to do at the end of my season. So um, having good results at those two events confirmed to me that I should go to Italy for the final. Um, and just also all the people that I met over the past like two weeks um, through the Golden Trail series, I think just, yeah, it's just fun to go race with fun people. So um decided that that's where I want to end up in October. So yeah, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think it'll be another great learning experience for me. Yeah, as is life every day, every day. Well, I'd be mad at myself if I didn't ask you like what your goals are a little bit longer term. I know we've sort of touched on this a little bit in our conversation with your dual track method here, but like if you take this season and sort of like contemplate it a little bit, does it impact how you might approach next season or even looking further ahead? Like what, what are some of your goals in the short, medium and long term? if you don't mind revealing them? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd love to super short term. I'd love to have another good run, um, at the final in Italy. Um, I think beyond that, like, I definitely need to train for a little while and I want to transition over back to track. Um, and with the Olympic trials and the Olympics next summer, like track is a big focus for me for the six months that follow my trail season, yeah. or I guess it's more like eight months. Um, but then past that point, like I think this year was cool figuring out that I can run VKs and I can run trail events, sub ultra, like right off of track season. I'd love to go into another, just like, yeah, just another super epic trail season, just like blazing and learn as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, doesn't... just go represent the U S and the Paris Olympics and then come back and start ripping it up on trails a little bit more. <laughs> no big I think deal. big goal also, like I have sort of scratched the surface. Like I raced well at USA's, um, for track this year and I PR'd by two seconds. And I think there's a lot more where that comes from just, the way that I was training, I felt like I under-raced all spring. And so I, I think just a big goal for me is to to drop some seconds off of all of my track times. Like they're just getting a little bit soft. Okay. So again, I'm ignorant on track stuff, but 
Does some of these trail performances impact how you think about your track capabilities? Because you mostly focus on the 1500, if I'm not mistaken. Does it make you feel like, you know, having done a couple of these two hour type events, not like you're going to do a marathon or half marathon, but are you thinking maybe about the five and 10K or, you know, what is, what does the track look like for you? The 10K, I would say a little bit less so, but I, I do think like the 5k is for sure within, within possibility for me. And I've had a lot of people kind of nudge me in that direction. So I'm very open to it. I do love the 1500 and I love the mile, but 5k, I'm not going to say no. Everybody says the 5k is like the hardest event. I have a good friend, Andrew Bumbleo, who finished fourth. I think he finished fourth in the 5k Olympic trials in like 2012. I think it was him who told me the five is brutal because the 15, you know, it's over in a few minutes and the 10 K it's like slow enough to where, you know, you're not redlining the whole time, but the five K is like an absolute suffer fest. Is that truth? (laughs) Well, I haven't run enough five Ks to actually be able to tell you the answer to that. So I might have to get back to you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Get back to me on that. Again, I'm ignorant. So you got to educate me on that stuff. (laughs) Well, Anna, man, it's so great to get to know you and I appreciate you coming on the show. We end with a couple of uniform questions here that I sent you via email. The first one is, who is one person that you admire can be inside or outside of sports? person could be living or dead. And why is it that you admire that person? Well, my first instinct was like Dylan Bowman. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shift my answer. Um, I think somebody that really has inspired me in the last couple of years with my career and just as a person is Lachlan Morton, who is probably not a person that a lot of listeners on this show know of, but he's an Australian cyclist. Um, I highly recommend typing that name into YouTube and watching some videos. Um, Lachlan's just sick. I think uh, he just takes a really creative approach, creative approach to being a professional athlete and he does a bunch of like monster, just insane ultra bike packing events and routes and rides. And I love how he's just like so truly himself, like just so authentic and has broken down a lot of barriers in like the professional cycling world. And so I think I'm really inspired by that. And um, if any part of me is like anything like him in that regard in the running world, like I'm stoked. It's a brilliant answer. It's funny. My brother just texted me, Hey, you got to get Lachlan Morton on your podcast. And for our listeners, I bet a lot of people are familiar with him, but he's almost like the Ricky Gates equivalent in trail running, like kind of an artistic, creative individual who, like you said, marches to the beat of his own drum and, comes up with a lot of, you know, crazy adventures in the same way that Ricky did his Transamericana adventure and his every single street adventure. So anyway, great answer, Lachlan Morton. And if anybody's listening who's got a connection, please feel free to put us together. I'd love to have him on the show. That Final, would be amazing. That would that be amazing. Happen. Yeah. Final question for you, Anna. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience as an athlete? I thought about this actually for quite a while before I landed on an answer. Um, very thought-provoking question. And what I've come to is community. I think that's just like the central pillar of what I want my experience as an athlete and as a person to be. Like, I think what is even the value of all of this stuff that we're all doing if it's not like shared with other people, whether that's like firsthand, um, making friends, racing with people, you know, doing what you're doing, connecting people sharing stories. Um, yeah. Or like secondhand, um, just sharing those experiences and inspiring other people. Um, I feel like community is just like the centerpiece 
And sport is the reason that I feel like that because I've gotten so much of my own community in my life, like from this space. My entire community is through sport. It's amazing. (laughs) It's another brilliant, beautiful answer in a great place to wind down our conversation. Anna, congratulations on everything you've achieved in this very early moment in your career. It's a special transition moment as we've been talking about. I hope you can savor it and stay healthy and motivated. Best of luck to you over in Italy at the world final next month and keep the good vibes coming and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. What a great convo with Anna Gibson, superstar of the present and the future. Make sure you go follow her on Instagram and Strava. I link to both in the show notes here in the episode. Send her a DM. Wish her good luck at the Golden Trail World Final in Italy in just a couple weeks. Good luck to Anna. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of the episode. Drop your feedback in Slack. Let's keep the conversation going. If you're not a member, you are missing out. Come join the team. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there is a free trial. So come check it out. A big thank you to our sponsor, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 on the GSPGH, which is shipping now. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products, including the orange drink. HVMN, get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash FREETRAIL30. Finally, Rourke Apparel, Rourke.com. Use code Free Trail 15 off this swaggy trail apparel. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.